For the past three years, I've been following the monthly mental health index, which surveys people in the workforce about the state of their mental health. Paula Allen is Senior Vice President of Research and Total Wellness at Telus Mental Health, formerly LifeWorks. And she says, while anxiety is still high on people's radar, inflation and isolation are now the biggest stressors. She says it's paramount to get rid of stigma in the workplace and create an atmosphere where fellow employees can help by looking out for each other and where leaders are able to recognize when someone is under stress and have plans in place to offer assistance. Hi, Paula. We haven't spoken for a couple of months, so I just want to catch up with you on the last three months of the Mental Health Index because there's been a lot of similar findings, um, but also some different things. So November, December, and January, we will talk about. Yeah, a pleasure, Janice. Always wanted to speak with you. So in November, you did a focus. Um, each mental health index has a spotlight. So your spotlight in November was diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what was the overall finding with that? Because it is a big issue in the workplace right now. Yeah, it absolutely is, and 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 rightly so. Um, when you when you really look at workplace mental health, when you look at any kind of mental health, uh, even the words diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, in being included, having a sense of equity, feeling a sense of belonging, are essential to our mental health and well-being. And the the initiatives right now are because not everybody is experiencing that in the workplace in the same way. So we found a couple of things. One was when an organization was committed and visibly supported diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, the mental health and well-being of all their employees was better. So, you know, having that as part of your DNA, having that as part of your operating practice is helpful to everyone. Everyone needs to have that, those positive experiences. Um, but we still have a ways to go because we did find that there were some differences in the way different groups experience the workplace. So, for example, manager behavior, co- negative comments from coworkers, you know, things that kind of ever way at your well-being were more likely to be experienced from individual from individuals from diverse groups. So, and then excuse me, to define inclusion, we should say, so a lot of people think that diversity and equity is what you need. So the number of uh, minority group, whether it's, and we'll talk about disabilities and, and um, to us LGBTQ plus, but inclusion is the big part of it. And that's where I think you started to see a decrease in the mental health. So huge um, I think it was something like 75% of, of respondents felt good about it. But of that smaller minority, the mental health score was much worse. Yep. And so I think inclusion is a big part of that. Well, without question. I mean, sometimes you understand the power of something when you look at the opposite. So think of being in a workplace where you feel excluded. Think of being in a situation where there's opportunities where you feel excluded. Like those are, that's a pretty powerful experience. So that makes it absolutely understandable why those who are not feeling included have more impact and more negative impact to their mental health. 
that is a great way of looking at it because for most of us in the workforce, we don't have to worry about inclusion Mm -hmm. Um, because we're not a a minority group. You know, we're largely white men, white women. And so we don't experience, I mean, we experience bullying and those kinds of things, but the impact I don't think is as great. So thinking of it as being excluded from something is so easy to identify. Exactly. Uh, the the largest, I think, the, the the worst mental health score was people with disabilities, mm-hmm. which is not what would jump to mind when you thought of a diversity issue in a workplace. So what, why is that? What is it that they experience that, that makes their mental health the worst? Well, we very consciously included people with disabilities for exactly the reason that you said that, you know, often people don't think of that group as being part of this conversation. But the, the same thing, you know, needing uh, to feel included, needing to feel equity, needing to feel a sense of belonging and to be represented, which is the diversity component of it, is as important to people or persons with disabilities as everyone else. These are basic human, human needs. And I think what happens in the workplace is that we don't frame it like that. We frame it more as a legislative accountability to make sure that we have accommodations and we don't have barriers. That's all fine, but this is the lowest possible standard. You know, just having no barriers, just having um, an, a, a, an accessibility policy, you know, and so you have closed captioning and things of that sort. All of those are important. I'm not saying that they're not, but it's not enough. You know, that the feeling of actually being a part of an organization that you have the same opportunities that you don't that you have the same experiences is the part that really helps people from their mental health and their work productivity point of view. So it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity for us in workplaces. And how does an employer in, ensure because again, for, for a lot of employers, this is new as well. This is, this is something that I think we've, in a way, while our mental health has been, stra- been strained over the last number of years, it's also brought a lot of issues like this to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And uh, companies are having to look at what worked and what didn't work, remote work. And these are things you've looked at all, all the way through. And so uh, things like diversity and inclusion are, are on a lot of people's radar right now. So let's go to December. Now, December, you sort of did a very general, it was a, a top of mind discussion. And uh, it was not surprising to me that inflation came out as number one. But you also looked, so if we could just sort of go through what the, what the top of mind issues were, but you also looked at an over 50, under 40 kind of demographic. And I think there were some surprising findings there in the um, level of confidence and and those kinds of things between those two demographics. But let's start with inflation. We're all talking about it. We're all thinking of it. And we're all experiencing problems with inflation to some degree. Where did that land on the, the mental health index in December? Um, compared to, you know, earlier months? 
Uh, well, it, at this point, is one of the top issues. It wasn't even an issue. Like when you think of 2020, when we when we started to publish monthly, we yeah. didn't have any in, in inflation. It was very, very low. So, you know, it represents a few things. It represents risk because people are wondering in terms of, you know, what should they buy? What can they buy? What their future is going to be like? Uh, it represents a lack of control because each in individual doesn't have a control over the inflation. You might be able to take control in terms of how you respond to it, but you don't have control over, over inflation. Uh, and we know that one of the things that throughout our, our assessment makes a huge difference to people's mental health and well-being is the presence or absence of emergency savings. And when inflation goes up, then those emergency savings are threatened. You know, people are more likely to have to dip into those savings if something comes up, if some, if, if just even to manage day-to-day -day expenses. So we know that there is a fair bit of, of risk right now in terms of inflation. But emergency savings has always been an issue for so many people. Uh, you and you, if I look at the mental health index for various industries, which industry flu interestingly fluctuates back and forth and up and down to, to different uh, industries every month. But if you look at what the index is for inflation, you're looking at lower um, income jobs, so accommodations, um, arts, and those kinds of, they're, they're that extra thing that we all gave up and, well, partly because a lot of them were closed, but we all gave up over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of difficulty in people returning to work in those industries. And now we're facing massive inflation that we haven't seen in years. And that leads to massive hike in interest rates. And this takes me to the under 40 age group. Is this part of why the under 40 age group, which a lot of us have always thought is the most confident, right, um, is becoming the least confident with the uh, worse um, mental health index. Yeah, there's, 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 many, there's many points, actually, that, that you, you made. I mean, there's uh, inflation happening in some of those sort of discretionary areas, but there's also inflation in food. Uh, there was massive inflation in, in housing and, and, you know, rental and accommodation. So these are some fundamental things. And um, another point that I want to make, and then I'll, I'll get to your point around the age group, is that the vulnerability around emergency savings is somewhat related to income, but not, a, not entirely. You know, we had people who in our, in our sample who were over 50, uh, you know, had good paying jobs and had no emergency savings. And it still impacted their mental well-being because, again, there was just no cushion others who were having much more modest incomes and, and perhaps much younger who did have emergency savings where we didn't see that effect. So all of that is make, makes it kind of interesting to see the connection between mental health and, and, and finances. In terms of the age demographics though, there is so much to this. We have had um, a fast moving, very disrupted society, increasing speed of change in our society for quite some time. Like when you think about, you know, uh, the, the, the amount of change that we've had over the past five years or even 10 years com compared to the 10 years before, it's tremendous. And change is stressful. 
we've had that as a primary experience for younger cohorts. We've had people enter the workforce uh, during the pandemic at a time where the needs of that age group were not being met. In that age group, you need to have a lot of social support. We all do, but it's it's really important then. You're just sort of defining yourself. You're establishing your, 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 your place in the world. You know, you might be just out of school. You need that kind of ongoing feedback and framework from a personal point of view, but also from a workplace point of view. And a lot of that was blown up during this, 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 this pandemic. You know, we also have for quite some time had a trending towards higher anxiety amongst the younger cohorts. And again, many hypotheses around that, but there one is actually physical. Um, and that is when we've been having a decrease in the age of puberty for a while. And what happens during puberty is your mind fires in a lot of different ways. You're very attuned to a lot of things, social constructs, you're, like it, it really is a, a state of heightened awareness. But when that happens and you're very young, you might not have the skills to deal with that. It's easier to feel overwhelmed. At the same time, we have all these other things happening and very accessible through technology for younger age groups that makes the situation worse. So we have so many factors that have kind of been coming together that's adding to the vulnerability of the younger uh, cohort that I'm not surprised to see what we see, which is a difference in mental health scores, a negative difference in mental health scores, and a great deal more uncertainty, less confidence in their ability to cope with life and work. Yeah, because it's funny, in my mind, when I was thinking under 40, I was thinking the 30 to 40, you know, moving into a more um, uh, professional uh, job uh, or a managerial position, say, in the retail sector. And but I but it I've talked a lot about children's mental health and I've talked a lot about how in COVID kids were in and out of school, but largely out of school at that age of puberty, and they weren't learning the social skills, they weren't learning that kind of confidence. And so all of a sudden, you're in your 20s, and you're getting your first full time job, and you're working remotely. Yeah, so you're not even meeting the people at work, I can see that the anxiety and isolation, again, was another, another big um, issue for for mental health index. So all of that goes together with what you were just talking about. That, yeah, these, yeah. that these under these younger age groups are totally disconnected. I Although mean, we I, think of them as being connected <laughs> because of the, right because of the uh, social media world, but in fact they're not connected. Well, they're more likely one and a half times more likely to feel a sense of isolation, and also much more likely, twice as likely to feel. Uh, if they are feeling isolated, to feel that a good part of the, the reason is really lack of connection with people that they call friends. So you might have friends, but feeling that sense of trust and acceptance with your friends is a very different thing. So with, this has been something that's been progressing for a long time. You know, the, the, the pandemic didn't start it. The pandemic made it significantly worse, however. Right, a faster slide sort of down than exactly. it, trajectory yeah. down than it, than it might have been. 
you have over um, the last number of years, I, I, I think I've talked to you almost since the beginning of the index launching, which was a lot of work went into developing, but you launched it in early 2020. And one of the things that, that you've always looked at is the mental health of people who sought help from a mental health professional, spoke about it to family and friends, or didn't talk about it at all. And of course, the people who didn't talk about it were, um, had the, the lowest mental health score, the worst mental health score. And one of the things that you're looking at now is that the percentage of people um, who are saying at work, I would like to have access to at least one free counseling session, which I think is a bit of a change. And how do employers look at that and figure that out? Because again, that's new. Employers were just beginning to grapple over the last number of years with the fact that they needed to pay attention to mental health in the workplace. But now they have to be active about it. Well, well, let me um, let me uh, sort of phrase it uh, in a in a different way. Um, if you ask employers whether you th- they think mental health and physical health are both important, most would say yes. If you ask them, you know, whether they feel that it would be um, right to offer less access to support for mental health. Than, than physical health, most would say no. But the fact is that we grew up thinking about these things as separate and we can't do that anymore. You know, just like we would expect people to have a, an ongoing physical on a regular basis, uh, just like we would expect people if they have, you know, something that's not quite right in terms of their, their physical health, not to wait until it's in the worst possible place and then call a crisis line. We want them to address it as early as possible. The, the, same, the same mindset needs to be for, for mental health. So we, we have a ways to go in terms of actual parity. Like we're not intentionally discriminating, but the de facto, the de facto system is that we are treating these things differently. And the good news is, um, as you said, Janice, half, one in two of working Canadians said that there were, if there was a free confidential access to a mental health assessment, that they would take it, uh, which means that there is greater willingness than what we would have thought in people at least taking that first step. So we just really have to match it with the, 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 the attitude. And, and you notice I said attitude instead of access, because many in many organizations, it is available. It's available through employee assistance programs. It's available through benefits. But we, we don't communicate it in a way that makes it feel normal or communicate it in a way that makes it feel as a responsible step in managing your own health. We still have this mindset of you should be in crisis. Uh, and that's not the way it, w- it should go forward. You know, and it's still hard for people, the stigma attached to it. It's still very hard for people to talk about their mental health issue. And like you said, especially if it's sort of lower level, like anxiety is building, anxiety is building, um, but you don't really want to talk about it because it doesn't appear that anybody else is having a trouble, which of course they probably are because almost <laughs> everybody, right, can can benefit. And just quickly about about different industries. I've spoken to someone in the past who uh, works for a company and they have a broad spectrum of employees. And when we were talking about mental health, 
she said to me, here's an example that's really, really difficult. They have, they run a waste disposal part in, of, uh, of their company. And she said, how does one of the guys on the truck say to his other buddies, um, I'm not necessarily men, women as well. How do they say, hey, you know what? I'm feeling really anxious and depressed. I have to take some time off. And mm-hmm. then how do they come back and say, I'm feeling better and this is what happened to me in, in my time off. As you're talking to the various and, and analyzing the various industries, are you seeing that kind of discrepancy between the type of job that people have? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because I don't know that it is as much of a difference between the type of job as you would think. And partly it's because those jobs where it was very, those industries where historically um, people, you know, didn't speak about mental health. There's been so much effort from employers to destigmatize that I see some benefits. So construction is one that that definitely comes to mind. Heavy industry right. yeah. is, is, is another, and it just shows the power of the employer in in destigmatizing the conversation and how it it trickles down. But that exact exact example that you gave, I kept on thinking as you were saying it. Would that person have a problem telling their coworkers, you know, I'm, I'm feeling too much back pain to continue. I need to take time off work. And this is what happened when I took that time off work. So it really is not different, but we somehow still feel that it's okay to blame the victim. And that's why people are feeling so hesitant about doing what they need to do. So people, stigma doesn't just prevent people from talking. It prevents people from actually getting care. They're so afraid of others finding out that they refuse to accept the need for care, which makes makes things worse. So this is not an, this this is not an insignificant issue. We have to, I I think I'm going to use the word normalize. We have to normalize mental health and, and like you said, and put it into that category. And and the stigma goes across family, friends, you know, it's not just in the workplace. Where are we going from here? What do you expect to see in the coming months? What I expect well, let me put it this way. Can I, can I answer in, in terms of what I hope? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's probably better because, it, it, you know, who knows what's going to happen next month, right? That could affect it. But yeah, what do you hope? What, what, I, what I hope is that people will take this information as a call to action. You know, when, when, we, when we put out this information, when we make it clear that there is, is something that is trending in a direction that's not right, the purpose is to have people understand that do nothing is not a good option. Just waiting and accepting that we've had this reset in terms of our mental health is not an option. Just accepting uh, stigma in places where it exists is not, a, is not an option. What I, what I would hope is that each and every individual would take at least one action for themselves or someone else to improve increase self-care, you know, helping somebody that you see is struggling, uh, feel comfortable, you know, getting support. From a business point of view, if you're a leader, communicating supports and destigmatizing the conversation, like this whole mental health game is a bit of a team sport. All we would have to do is each person take one small step, and then all of us are better off. Paula, again, thank you. It's always interesting to talk to you and I will will talk to you again soon as you continue to uh, report 
on um, how we're how we're coping in in the workplace, which is where we spend a lot of our time. It is. It's part of. It's, it's not separated from our lives. It is a part of our lives. 